Amen, amen. Well, you may have a seat. Welcome, everyone, to the Grove City Vineyard. My name is Christian Roots. I'm the associate pastor here. It's good to be with you all today. And this has been a really good week for, for our family. We, we just uh, accept or put in an offer and had that offer accepted at a house in Grove City. And so we are going to be Grove Cityans here very shortly. And so for those of you who are hoping, uh, hoping to get rid of me, I, I don't know what to tell you. It looks like, looks like you're going to have to stick up or put, put up with me for, for a bit longer. Well, we've been going through a, a series called Through the Bible, in which we've been looking successively at each book of the Bible, starting in Genesis and then moving, moving through Revelation, which we're going to be tackling next week. So next week is the last week of this series, and Pastor Tom is going to be in one week covering the entire book of Revelation. And so, Pastor Tom, if you're listening to the podcast, have fun, have fun with that, brother. But uh, I, I have a much easier assignment, I, I would say, this week. I'm going to be taking us through the book of Jude. The book of Jude, which is a small book, but a, a really, really relevant book for our times. And so I'm excited to get into that today. And so why don't we pray, and then I will open up to God's Word. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you that you're here, present and among us. And we just say that we need you. We need you, Father. Would you help us? Would you be with us? Would you bring our attention to your word today, God? Would you remove all distractions, all discouragement, God, from our minds that we might concentrate and focus on your word, which is, which is truth, which is alive and active? Please, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to begin, as, as we have each week in this series, by talking about the context, the background of the book of Jude. The, the book, or the letter of Jude, it was a letter, was most likely written between 60 and 80 AD by Jesus' brother Jude. Jude is a variant of, of the Greek name Judas. And so Jude or, or Judas is, is mentioned actually a couple of times in the New Testament. And so, for example, in Matthew 13, verse 55, the people of Nazareth say this about Jesus. They say, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his, Mary, is not his mother rather called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? That's our boy Jude. Jude was a traveling missionary, and just like his brothers, he also didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus's death and resurrection. And when you see someone raised from the dead, that has a tendency to cause you to, to believe in them. And so after the resurrection and sense of an ascension rather of Jesus, Jude became a ardent follower of his brother. He was a traveling missionary and uh, we're, we're unaware of who he was addressing in this letter, but we can be fairly certain that, that these were, were Christians with a Jewish background. And so now let's, let's look at the contents of the letter, and I want us to focus specifically on verses 3 and, and verses 4. This is what we read. Jude is saying, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. 
They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Amen. Amen. So, so we find here that Jude says, I, I wanted to write to you guys, and I, I wanted simply to celebrate what we have together in the salvation we share in Jesus. But I, I can't do that because there have been some false teachers that have, have snuck in or crept into your ranks, and, and so we've, we've got to talk about this. So we quickly find that the purpose of, of Jude's letter is twofold. Number one, he wanted to expose these false teachers that had infiltrated the community. Number two, he wanted to encourage these Christians to fight or to contend for the faith that had been entrusted to them. So let's, let's look at these false teachers for a moment. In all likelihood, these individuals were traveling, charismatic teachers. And the chief crime with which the, these false teachers are, are accused is the crime of perverting the grace of God into license for immorality and thereby denying Jesus Christ as Lord. That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? What, what does Jude mean when he says that they were perverting the grace of our God into a license for immorality? Well, he's saying that these false teachers were distorting the Christian message of grace. That they were saying, in effect, that, that because Jesus has come and because Jesus has died for us on the cross, has justified us before the presence of the Father, that we are no longer under obligation to follow the moral law, that we're no longer under obligation to follow the teachings laid out for us in Scripture. In theological terms, these false teachers were antinomians. Antinomians, we're going to learn a new word today, guys. Antinomians comes from two Greek words, meaning for two Greek words, anti, which means against. We, we use that in our vernacular today. And nomos, which means law. And so the antinomians were against the law. They were against the moral law. This was a term first used, uh, incidentally, by Martin Luther, who was no enemy of grace, but understood that grace could be perverted, could be manipulated for one's own ends. And so antinomianism, ant, wow, this is going to be a rough one today, antinomianism, is the belief that we can receive all the benefits of following God. We can receive his, his peace and his joy and his salvation without giving up the control of the way that we want to live. And, and I would argue that antinomianism is the dominant belief found among Americans today who profess some type of faith in God. You ask the average person on the street who says, yeah, I, I believe in a God it's a good chance they would fall into this category that, that many Americans believe today that we can follow God without regard for the moral teachings of, of the Bible. That, that because God is love, because God is a God who forgives, that, that he isn't particularly concerned or interested in whether or not we, we live with our girlfriend or our boyfriend or not. not. Not particularly interested in how we spend our money or whether or not we indulge in a few too many cocktails rather regularly. But this line of thinking, it runs absolutely counter to the teachings of the gospel. Because the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, teaches us certainly that we are saved by, by faith alone. That we are, are justified, declared righteous before the Father due to no works or effort of our own. This is how the, the famous American theologian Jonathan Edwards can, could say, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I love that. Wish I would have thought of that 
He, he says again, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. And that is absolutely true. We absolutely affirm that. It's what the gospel teaches. But as the leaders of the Reformation were fond of saying, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but not by a faith that stays alone. And what they were, were trying to articulate here, what the leaders of the Reformation were trying to articulate, is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but this faith is soon accompanied by good works. This faith is soon accompanied by a, a willingness to obey the teachings laid out for us in Scripture. Because when, when we become followers of Jesus, not only are we justified, not only are we declared forgiven and clean in the Father's sight, but we're also given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit begins to, to change us, begins to change our desires, begins to change our will, so that, that we begin to actually, over time, desire to do the will of God, to lay down our life for God, to glorify and follow our Lord. And that if we don't see this present in our lives, if we don't see a willingness to obey the teachings of, of Jesus, albeit imperfectly, certainly, but if, if we don't see this willingness to obey the teachings of Scripture and lay down our life for Jesus, then, then the Reformers would tell us we, we need to, to pause and, and consider whether or not the Holy Spirit is actually inside of us, whether or not we, we've actually been born again. And those are sobering words, for sure, but, but they're important ones. That, that, to believe that, that you've been justified and forgiven, and so therefore your behavior, your conduct does not matter, just doesn't line up with Scripture. That you prayed a prayer at one point and, and got your ticket into heaven, and so now your conduct doesn't matter. That, that doesn't line up with Scripture. And... and we, we need to be aware of that because the, the teaching of, of antinomianism continues to, to be prevalent in our culture today. And so now that we know what we're fighting against, we, we need to look at how Jude tells these Christians to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to them. How are we called to fight? How are we called, in other words, to push back against false teaching that would seek to, to creep into our churches and they would seek to, to gain a foothold and a, a hearing. Well, we're given the answer in, in verse 20. So we started out in verses 3 through 4, and then Jude, for the next 15 verses, kind of rails against these false teachers. And then he comes and, and he picks up his argument again in verse 20, and he says in verse 20, in essence, this is what it looks like to contend, to fight for the faith that's been entrusted to you. And this is what we read in verse 20. It says, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So let's, let's unpack this. I'm going to be spending the rest of our time unpacking these couple of verses. Well, what does it mean to build ourselves up in the faith? Because that's, that's Jude's first point. You want to contend? You need to build yourself up in the faith. Well, to build ourselves up in the faith, both as a church and as individuals, is to continually dwell and reflect and study the teachings and doctrines handed to us through the scriptures. That's what it, it means to, to build ourselves up in the faith. To take the doctrines and the teachings of scripture that have been handed down to us and to reflect on them, to dwell on them, to prioritize them. 
And we do this primarily through reading the Bible, right? John Bunyan, who I've mentioned before, he's the author of the classic Pilgrim's Progress. He, he wrote this on the cover of his Bible, on the inside cover of his Bible. I love this. He, he wrote, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. So l- let me interject here for a second. Let's have a, a quick chat. I, I wish I, could, I had a little armchair or something. We could have a pastoral fireside chat. Do you have a plan for, for how you're going to engage Scripture? Do you, do you have a plan for how you're going to read the Bible? Do you have a plan? If you're here and you would say, I am a, a follower of Jesus, I, I understand that that's not all of us here. And if, if that's not you, we're, we're really glad that you're here. But, but if you're here and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I want to live my life under the authority and under the, the commands of Jesus found in Scripture, do, do you have a plan of, of how you're going to engage Scripture, of when you're going to do it, what, what, what time during the day, of, of how long you're going to do it, and how often you're going to do it? Do, do you have some type of plan? Because I would argue that if, if, if we don't have a plan of how we're going to read our Bibles, then it's kind of just wishful thinking, isn't it? that we're probably going to read our Bibles as much as I clean my garage. You know, a lot of wishful thinking there, a lot of good intentions, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. And many of us here would say, you know, I, I see this play playing out in my life. I want to read my Bible. I intend to read my Bible. But it, it just doesn't happen with much regularity. And I, I would argue again that if you don't have a plan, it's just going to be hard to, to do. And so I would recommend taking some time even this afternoon. Why don't you go get yourself a nice iced coffee and sit down in a comfy chair and and plan out what your plan is going to be. What's your schedule look like? Are are you a morning person? Can you get it done in the morning? That's probably the most recommended time. Can you get it in? Can you slide it in? It's your lunch hour. Do you have to do it after the kids go down? I mean, what does that look like for you? But, But come up with a plan of this is how I'm going to engage Scripture and Here's how often I'm going to do it, and here's when I'm going to do it. Because again, without a plan, I, I just don't think it's going to happen with much regularity. Reading the Bible is the primary way we build ourselves up in the faith. And the second way we build ourselves up in the faith is through the practice of, of biblical study. You know, listen, I, I virtually never read the Bible without a, a study Bible presence. You know, I, I just, I never open up a Bible without having a study Bible present. And the reason for that is that I just ask too many questions, right? I, I just, I have too many questions. And there is nothing more discouraging than, than trying to read through a text and, and, and working through, you know, yet another long run-on sentence from Paul and thinking, I have no idea what's going on here. I mean, that guy will have like a seven-line run-on sentence, and at the end of it, it's like, I've been reading for 10 minutes. No idea what he's saying right now, right? Am I allowed to admit that from the stage? Okay. And, and so I, I just don't read my Bible without a study Bible present. A study Bible is simply a Bible that's going to give you a, a, a verse-by-verse commentary on, on what's going on. And, and I, I've been utilizing a study Bible for years, and I, I can't tell you how helpful it's been that when I come to something in Scripture where I don't know what's going on or I'm a little bit confused that I can consult it and then move on. And so the, the study Bible that I recommend, that there's, there's many that are good, that the study Bible I've been using for years is called the ESV Study Bible. ESV, it stands for English Standard Version Study Bible. And the reason that I, I love it is because it's, it's on my phone. It, 
And so I, I have the physical copy, and it's, you know, it feels like it's 20 pounds, but I, I have the entire study Bible on my phone. And so you can go, and you can go to the App Store and download the ESV Bible, and then it's an in-app purchase for 15 bucks or so, a couple of you know, burritos at Chipotle, and you have this thousand-page study Bible just at your fingertips. And so every morning when I'm reading my Bible, I just have that, that out be, because I, I have too many questions. I, I don't agree with, with everything theologically that I, I find in the ESV study Bible. I imagine there's, there's no study Bible I would find where I, I'm going to line up exactly where they do in every single place, but it has been tremendously helpful for me over the years. And if you're someone who struggles with the Bible, you struggle because you don't understand it, perhaps, I, I, would recommend, I would recommend utilizing it. You know, another way that we build ourselves up in the faith is by reading good, theologically rich books. And, and listen, I understand that, that some of you here would say, look, look man, I, I'm not a reader. And, and I get that. Not all of us are readers. But, but if there was just one book I could recommend for you to read. There was just one book that I, I could guarantee that all of us would read. It would be a book called The Cross of Christ by John Stott. If you've never heard of John Stott, he's probably one of the three or four most influential pastors and theologians of the 20th century. He's an amazing man. And, and his book, The Cross of Christ, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. But, but even more, it, it's on probably the most important topic that we could ever ever desire to read about, right? Which is the cross of Christ. And so if there's one book that you would, go, that you would read over the next year, I, I would recommend The Cross of Christ by John Stott. To have a few hundred pages in which you, you can dive into what, what exactly happened on the cross and why it matters for us today. I, I mean, that is valuable time spent. Maybe you read the book years ago. It's a classic. I, I would recommend it to you again. And, and you know, I... I had a birthday a couple weeks ago, and uh, you know, if you're thinking, you know, how could I give a belated birthday present to Pastor Christian? <laughs> Why not read the cross of Christ, and then shoot me an email and just say, hey, Pastor, just so you know, reading the cross of Christ by John Stott. That would warm my heart more than you would know. And some of you might be saying right now, well, gosh, that sounds a little manipulative, Christian, <laughs> to use your birthday to try to get us to read a book. And, and you know, you're you're probably right. That is probably manipulative, and I'm okay with that because I really want you to read this book. And so The Cross of Christ, you, sh you should read it, and then shoot me an email and say, hey, I'm reading it. You know, another way that we build ourselves up in the faith is, is by reading good biographies. It's by reading good biographies. I, I love biographies. I, I always have a biography going. I, I'm usually reading three to four books at a time because I have ADHD, and it helps me. And, and one of those books is always a biography. And, and I love biographies because biographies always in, include or involve an interesting story. You know, whenever you read about a man or a woman who's made a significant dent in the kingdom of God, it's always a, an interesting story. It's never a dry read. And, and secondly, I love it because it's just great devotional material. The few things in this world stir up my soul for the Lord than hearing about or reading about a brother or sister who just laid down their life for the cause of Christ. 
And then thirdly, I love biographies because any biography worth its salt is going to give you a good dose of theology as well. You're, you're going to look at how these, these men and these women handled various crises, handled difficult texts. It's, it's just, it has everything. And so I've put up on the front screen a few of my favorite biographies. I don't have time to go into them because I love them so much. I would spend the rest of the time talking about them. But these three biographies are really, if I could recommend any of any biographies, are my favorite. I've read, I think, each of those more than once. And they're just really good. So you can go to Amazon today and get a used copy for pretty cheap. You know, I'm doing a lot of plugs today. I want to make this practical for you guys. And so there we go. We build ourselves up, guys, through hearing the preached word. That's one of the reasons that you're here, that you need to regularly hear God's word preached. We build ourselves up through, through reading God's word in community. Now, we were never called to read God's word in isolation. And so that's one of the reasons we're, we're continually encouraging you to join a home group. So you can find out information about our home groups out in the lobby at our life group wall. If you're not involved or invested in a home group, I would encourage you to join one because we were never meant to read God's word in isolation. Lastly, we build ourselves up in the faith through practicing discernment in what we read and what we listen to. You know, we live in a, a day and age in the 21st century where we just have access to so much so much good material. I, I love listening to podcasts of sermons uh, of various preachers. I, I love reading books. And, and yet there's also just an opportunity to listen to a lot of junk. And a lot of what we find online and on the television is just junk. And, and just like junk food, it might taste good on the way down, but if you, you ingest that over a over a period of time, you're, you're going to become unhealthy. You're going to become an unhealthy follower of Jesus. And so I, I would encourage you, you know, if you're, you're, you're questioning whether you should read a particular book or listen to a particular pastor, why, why not talk to me? Why not talk to Pastor Tom? Why not talk to your small group leader? Why not ask about it? Because we, we want to be discerning here, guys. Because we want to be, be ingesting material that honors the Lord and follows his teaching. Jude tells us to build ourselves up in our faith. To, to focus and to prioritize biblical teaching and doctrine. And secondly, he also tells us to pray in the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, Jude is not talking here, guys, about praying in tongues. I don't think he had anything wrong or, or saw anything uh, wrong in praying with tongues, but it's not what he's talking about here. Here's what Jude is talking about. He's talking about praying with a, a fervency and a passion that, that is provided by the Holy Spirit. That all of us know what it's like to be praying for something. And we're, we're praying and we're, we're uttering the words, we're, we're mumbling the words, but, but our headspace is completely somewhere else, right? You're, you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, you know, in an hour even though you're still praying. Or maybe you've had these experiences like I have where you've been praying and then after five minutes you realize you can't even remember what you've been talking about because you're thinking about the phone call you need to make or you're thinking about the deadline that's coming up. So Jude says, I want you to pray in the Holy Spirit. I want you to pray with a passion and a fervency that the Holy Spirit provides. Jude says that 
If we want to be a church that fights for our faith and protects ourselves from false teaching, we need to be people who pray. One of the, uh, one of the, the gentlemen whose biography I just recommended to you is a, a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Probably, most certainly, I, I would say, is the, the most influential pastor of the 19th century. And there's a story that goes that one summer day in, in London in the 19th century, there was five young college boys who wanted to visit Charles Spurgeon's church. And so they showed up at, at, at his church, and they were greeted by a, a gentleman at the door who asked them if they wanted to take a tour of the church. And so they said, sure. And he said, well, I, I want to take you down into the basement, into the boiler room. Now, this is just me, but if I show up at a church where I don't know anybody and some guy meets me at the door and says, hey, I want to take you down to the boiler room in the basement, I'm saying time out. And I'm like, creeper, get away from me. Like, you're not taking me to the basement. That's just me. I don't know. Maybe in the 19th century, they were a little bit more trusting. But they, these five guys, they follow this gentleman down into the basement. And he says, I, I want to show you the boiler room. So he, he takes them down into the heart of the basement. He opens up the door, and they look inside, and there are 700 men and women who are praying for the service that's about to start. The man said, this is our, our boiler room. In, in other words, this, this is the room that powers our church, that our, our church moves forward because of this room, because of the prayers of the people. Then the man silently closed the door, and he introduced himself. And of course, it was none other than Charles Spurgeon himself. Listen, guys, prayerlessness, that is a lack of prayer in the life of an individual and in the life of a church, it doesn't occur because of a lack of discipline. But instead, prayerlessness occurs because there's an abundance of self-confidence. You, you know, when when you hit a stretch of black ice on 71 and your, your car is, is spinning out of control, you don't say in that moment, you know what, I'm feeling rather disciplined in this, in this moment, so I'm going to start praying. No, you start crying out to God because you recognize in that moment that you are in need, right? We, we don't pray simply because we're disciplined, but we pray because we recognize our need before the Lord, that we are called to be a church that recognizes that all of our efforts, all of our time, all of our resources really, really will add up to nothing without God's help, without God's spirit, without his favor, without, without his strength. And, and that's why, quite frankly, I, I'm just so thankful for the prayer groups that we have here at the Vineyard. I, I'm so thankful for the, the mobile prayer team led by Tim Harris, who, who regularly goes out with folks to, to pray for neighborhoods, to pray for government entities, to pray for schools, asking God's kingdom to come into those neighborhoods and those places. And if you've never been out with the mobile prayer team, you've never been out with Tim or Don, you should, you should go. You should check it out. You can find more information about that team on the wall at our life group wall. I'm thankful, secondly, for our, our Thursday morning prayer group. I don't know if you know this, but there's a group of people who show up every Thursday at 6.15 a.m. out in our lobby and pray for you, who pray for many of you by name. They look at the prayer requests of that week. They're praying for many of you by name. And if you've never come out on a Thursday morning, you should check it out. 
Thankful for those of you who I see out on the wall, uh, walking around the grounds, praying for this church, for this city. I can't tell you how encouraging it is to look out from my office and see some of you praying for, for this church in this city. And I'm thankful that we're going to be starting up a, a new Tuesday night prayer group starting in September. So Tuesday, September 4th at 7 p.m. So if you have your phone with you, you should just make that a repeating event in your phone right now. Tuesdays at 7 from about 7 to 8.15, we're, we're going to be meeting for prayer. And we're going to be praying specifically for renewal within the Grove City Vineyard. That, that we want to be a place where where we're seeing people freed from addiction, that we want to be a place that, that the Holy Spirit is moving freely, that we're seeing salvations, that we're seeing our, our community mature in the Lord, that, that we want to be a place that, that is healthy and strong and that is, is used by God to bring His kingdom in this city. You know, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Acts chapter 11, verse 21. It's, it's in reference to the church in Antioch, and this is what it says. Acts eleven twenty one. it says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I, I just love that, that the Lord's hand was with them. And so, you know, whenever you start something new, whenever you start a new, new venture, you, you don't know if anyone's going to show up or not. And so, for all I know, it might just be me and, and Don Renan who's going to be leading worship for us. And Don might get tired of me. And it, it might just be me. But I, I'm still going to show up every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Because I, I want the Lord's hand to be with this church. I want the Lord's hand to be with this church. I, I want to be a place where we're seeing fruit, where we're seeing people freed, where we're seeing people come to know Jesus. And where we're seeing the kingdom of God come and advance and glorify him. A.C. Dixon said this. He said, When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Starting, starting Tuesdays, this September 4th, we're going to be meeting and saying, God, we want to see what you can do in this place. And, and then I'm really excited because the, the rhythm is, is going to be as such that, that we're going to meet every Tuesday, and then once a quarter, we're going to ask the entire church to come out for a night of, of worship and, and seeking the Lord together, asking God to come into our midst. And, and so we're going to be asking all of our small groups not to meet those particular weeks once a quarter, but to bring out their small group and, and to gather for a time of worship and, and for prayer. That, that we want to be a church that, that would say we, we are leaning into prayer in the Holy Spirit. That we recognize that all of our efforts, all of our time, all of our resources don't matter without God and His help. And so I encourage you to, to start coming out on the 4th. Moving on, Jude tells us that when we build ourselves up in our most holy faith and we pray in the Holy Spirit that we will keep ourselves in God's love. That's the next part of the verse. And, and what does it mean to keep ourselves in God's love? Well, we're given the answer in John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. These are Jesus' own words. And, and Jude, of course, as the brother of Jesus, would have been familiar with them. This is what Jesus says. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And, and here's where I want us to really concentrate, guys. Here's, 
Here it is. If you keep my commands, Jesus says, you will remain in my love. Saying, if you keep my commands, in other words, you will keep yourself in God's love. And so Jude is saying here that the the biblical truth and prayer are, are the two legs that we're called to stand on if we want to obey the commands of Jesus. And we want to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us. Or, or to put it in another way, he, he's saying to us that, that prayer in the Holy Spirit and that a desire for biblical truth, these are two rails that we put up on either side of the road. That over here we have the rail of prayer in the Holy Spirit. Over here we have uh, an intense desire to, to build ourselves up in the faith, to, to run after biblical truth. And Jude is saying that, that when these rails are in place in the life of an individual or the life of a church, that they're able to stay on the path of God's obedience. They're, they're able to, to stay obedient to the Lord and contend for the faith. But when one of these rails is missing, when, when the rail of prayer is not in our life or in the life of a church, or when the rail of, of biblical truth and, and a pursuit of of correct biblical doctrine, when, when that is not in place, that, that individuals or churches just, just quickly fall off the path. And I imagine if you've been around for church for very long, you, you've seen this happen. Seen it happen in churches, seen it happen in the life of individuals. That These are rails that, that protect us and help us to stay uh, on the path. I, I, was, I used this illustration in the first service, and someone came up to me afterwards, and they said, you know, as you were, you were giving this illustration of the rail, she said, I was reminded of a, a walker. And she said, you know, when you're learning to walk, you, you've got two rails that you, you lean on. She said, it was just a reminder that you, you lean on prayer, and you lean on a commitment to biblical truth, and that helps you to walk. I, I love that picture, that, that saying the same thing. When one of these rails goes out of our life, we're we're in in desperate straits. You know, contending for the faith does not primarily entail picking up a fly swatter and and searching for someone who disagrees with you in the most minute point of theology so that you can swat them with a fly swatter, right? You know that. Contending for the faith, rather, is, is becoming an individual and becoming a church that, that prioritizes biblical truth and prioritizes prayer in the Holy Spirit so that we, we create a culture in which false teaching just doesn't have an opportunity to gain a foothold and to gain a hearing. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't instances in, in which with, with love we, we have to tell others the truth. And, and Jude certainly references these moments. And so that's what we read about in verses 22 and 23. This is what we read. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So he says, be merciful to those who, who doubt. In other words, that when you find someone in your community who's doubting, you, you need to be merciful. You need to be patient with them. You need to listen to their questions. You need to be a good listener. You need to be patient. You need to spend a lot of time with them, helping them sort through their doubts. 
to save others by snatching them from the fire. That there are times where, where someone is running towards immoral living or they're running towards unbiblical teaching and, and we have to snatch them back. We have to, in love, tell them that this is not, this is not the path that God desires for them. And then thirdly, he says that there are times where in mercy we, we have to show fear, we have to show caution because we recognize that that someone or a group of, of individuals have, have so completely divorced themselves from, from the teachings of Jesus that we can no longer, with sadness, call them brothers or sisters in the Lord. And so there, there are times and, and places where, where we have to have hard conversations, but that is not the primary way that we contend for the faith. So let me, let me end here. How do we know if we're contending for the faith as an individual? How, how do we know if we're, we're fighting the good fight, in other words? We ask ourselves this question. If I could physically replicate myself, and this church were made up of a bunch of me's, or in your case, if this church were made up of a bunch of you's, would the church be healthy? Would there be a fervent love and appreciation for God's truth here? And would there be a passionate pursuit of prayer in the Holy Spirit? You know, I, I love the letter of Jude. So relevant for our time because it's a, a reminder that we must contend for the faith, not by pointing a finger outside of the church, which we love to do. We love to talk about the evils of culture, right? This particular political party or that particular political party, this ideology, that ideology. We love to point a finger outside of the church as a way to describe the deterioration happening within the church. But Jude is this reminder that, that we contend for the faith, not by pointing a finger outside of the church, but by reflecting on our own lives within it. And so let us be people who build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Let us be people who cry out to God for this church in the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we will be people who keep ourselves in the love of God and who contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And you know, if, if you're new to our, our community, the way that we, we close, um, is we create some space for some of us to to respond to the message. And I do want to say here on the front end that if you need prayer for something, you should come forward and get prayer. If you have something going on in your life that, that needs prayer, it doesn't matter if anything I said today was relevant to you. We want to pray for you. And it's free, and you're already here, and so you should just come and get prayer. But, but there are a couple of groups in particular I felt like God laid on my heart to, to come forward. Uh, the first is the leaders of our church. Those of you who have leadership positions, not possessions, positions in the church. It's a Freudian slip there. So if you serve in one of our children's classrooms, you serve with our middle school, you serve with the high school, maybe you lead a home group, you are a leader here in some in some form. You teach regularly here in some form. We, we want to pray for you. Because, you, you, you know, the, 
the spiritual temperature of any church is only going to be as high as, as the leaders within that church. You, you know that, right? That the, the bar for what it looks like to follow Jesus is always going to be set by the leaders. That if anyone is running harder than the leaders, anyone is pursuing the Lord with more passion from the leaders, they're, they're going to do one of two things. They're, they're either going to temper themselves and learn, oh, okay, that's not how we do things around here, or they're, they're probably going to find a different place. But either way, as a leader, you are helping set the culture of this church. You are determining the spiritual temperature of this church. And so we want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would, would help you to continue to, to burn hot for him, would help you to continue to have a love for the kids or the home group that, that you're ministering to. We want to, we want to pray. And, and so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to, to get prayer. I, I also understand that you know, most of the people that regularly come forward to pray are, are some of these leaders. So we're going to need some extra folks here, guys, today to to stand on the wall and, and, and pray for our leaders. We, we really want to pray for you. Secondly, you know, I, I've been told that uh, September is the new January, meaning that September is, is, is now a time of, of the year that feels like we're given a bit of a fresh start. You know, the, our, our schedules normalize again, school's back in session, right? More trips to the lake, and, and sadly... And so, you know, this is just a good time for some of us to, to kind of recommit to these two rails that I talked about of, of committing yourself to, to biblical truth, to, to pursuing God's truth in the Bible, and, and then also the, the rail of, of prayer. And so if you're, you're someone who, who would say, you, you know, I, I just know, maybe, maybe you're a leader here even. <laughs> And you just know that, that God's asking you to, to make a, a greater commitment to one or, or both of these endeavors. And we want to pray for you for that, that God would give you the grace to, to carve out the space that you need. You know, one of, one of the amazing truths of, of following God is that his mercies are new every day. And just because your walk with the Lord has looked like it has for the last year or two years or five years, it doesn't mean that that has to continue to be the case, that you can rewrite a new story with God's help. And, and so if that's where you're at, if you're someone who would say, you know what, I, I've seen the way in which I, I've, I've gone off the rails or I've gone off the path because I, I haven't had these rails in place. Um, we want to pray for you to give you the courage and the, the strength and the perseverance to, to really pursue biblical truth and, and, and prayer. So there's no judgment here. This isn't a shaming thing. This is just us saying, yeah, I, I know that this is something I want to commit to. So why don't we have our, our prayer team head to the side now. If you've been trained to pray, um, you can head to either side of the stage. And again, guys, we're just going to need a lot of folks up here. Try, if you can, to, to not huddle in groups of four or five. Try to really do this one-on-one. If we have to pray for each other, we can do that. But if you are a leader here, just going to invite you over the course of this next song to come forward because we set the culture for this church. We, we set the bar for what following Jesus looks like. We want to we want to contend for the faith that's been entrusted to us as leaders. And so for the rest of us, let's worship the King for he is worthy of it, isn't he?